Community Church, we're very glad you're with us, and uh, as we continue on in the study we're doing of the New Testament, um, we have been working diligently for, uh, this is 173 studies in to the New Testament. We've covered the Gospels, we've covered the book of Acts, we've covered um, quite a few of Paul's letters, we're going to hit another one of his letters today, we're taking Paul's letters in the order we believe they were written. Uh, We just finished the book of Romans. And uh, remember, Paul was writing that letter hoping to visit Rome, and now a couple years have gone on, and uh, Paul is indeed in Rome now at the time of the writing of this letter. Not the way he wanted, he's in prison uh, for trumped-up charges that we all studied in the book of Acts. Um, We believe when he was in prison in Rome, as he's writing this particular letter, he was under house arrest, where he probably would have been chained to a guard, and yet he was allowed some privileges, um, particularly people could come and visit whenever they wanted to, uh, and uh, he was writing letters at the time, making use of his time. And uh, we also know he was, he was uh, preaching to all the guards that were there. I love that. That's Paul. Paul just took every opportunity he had, and uh, he lived Jesus in front of them, no matter what was going on, and no matter who they were or why they were there. And we know from other accounts that... that uh, Paul being in captivity would often bring revival through the palace guards and stuff because they would hear the message and get saved. How cool is that? Um, I love those kind of things. So Colossians is what we're going to look at now. Um, We think it was written around 62 AD or so. And uh, um, like I said, Paul's in Rome now. Um, A couple years after writing the letter to the Romans, he's in prison uh, uh, in the process. And as we look into Colossians, um, Paul will start the letter like he always does. He's commending the the church there um, because they were known for their love of the believers. What a great way to be known. They were just known for the way they loved one another. And this was known throughout the whole world that this church really had figured out this love thing. And uh, this is one of the other few letters that Paul writes to a church he actually didn't start. He didn't start this church either. He didn't start the church in Rome, plant that church, and he didn't plant this church. Um, the church in Colossus was actually planted by a guy named Epaphras, um, who was one of Paul's converts early on in the ministry, um, and probably why Paul was doing ministry in Ephesus, um, which was about 100 miles away. Colossus was about 100 miles um, to the east of Ephesus. And... Uh, uh, this guy Epaphras got saved under Paul's ministry and then when he went, they figured he went home, that's where he was from, and he gets a church started there. And actually another connection you'll see in the New Testament is the church that uh, was in Colossus actually met in the house of Philemon. And if you've read your New Testament, you know that Philemon gets a, gets a chapter in the book too. Um, that, that was the house where they met, uh, where the church in, in Colossus met, um, at least at the time that we know of in the writing. So, uh, the, uh, the town of Colossus also had a large Jewish population. Uh, uh, the Jewish people had moved there a couple hundred years previously uh, under one of the oppressions in Rome that they had undergone. And so um, Colossus was sort of a trading center, and um, uh, it was a fairly uh, a well-traveled sort of town. A lot of people were coming. Because it was a trading center, they would have been going through there um, quite often. Uh, And also when you have those sort of places that allows for a big mix of people and a sort of a constant mix of ideas because people are coming in and out all the time. And that's kind of one of the situations is happening that Paul's going to address. Apparently Paul's in prison at Rome and his friend Epaphras comes to visit him because he's got issues at the church. And the issue that he's having is that these uh, false teachings have begun to bring some confusion into the community. 
And these, um, these false teachings are about who Jesus is. And they were heresies that started then and continued really on in the, in the early church and still continue today. Um, the biggest heresy at the time and sort of still is called Gnosticism. And uh, it, it, um, Gnosticism um, has some basic tenets that, that are all very anti-Christian. Um, uh, and there, there's sort of things like it's all about knowledge. It's about what you know. Um, that, and that there's, a, there's more to it than Jesus. Um, that Jesus couldn't have been both um, uh, physical and spirit. That he needed to be spirit only, which causes lots of problems for what we believe if that were to be true. It's not. And Paul's going to refute these beliefs in this letter to the church in Colossus. And uh, in effect, um, it's not about, in, in, as a believer, here's, it, it, it's, not about, it's not as important what you know, but whom you know. So you need to know Jesus. And then everything else is after that. It's not the other way around. And so, you know, I, I, we talked about that this weekend when I was telling you how important it was to read the scripture. And I said, you need to, you need to start by knowing the Lord of the book, but then you need to know the book of the Lord. But you've got to know the Lord of the book first, or else you'll take the book of the Lord and do things with it that, that shouldn't be done. Twist it, become legalistic, do all sorts of other stuff. So that's sort of the premise behind this letter. That was written. Uh, it's not a real long letter. It should only take us a month or so to uh, to dig through it. But let me uh, read it to you. Uh, the first chapter is 29 verses. You can follow along in your Bibles if you'd like, or the, the verses are in the bulletins, um, or there's uh, Bibles in the pew, whatever translation you have. I'll be using the NIV, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossus, Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and under the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel, that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death 
to present your body, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not removed from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Great chapter uh, that, that kicks off this letter. And I just want to, we'll talk about a few points in the brief time that we have together this morning. Uh, the first five verses of Colossians, um, you know, as I, as I touched on in the introduction, um, Colossus, the, the church there was started by Epaphras, and um, Paul has not yet visited the church there. Um, but as I said, he's writing it because apparently Epaphras visited him while he was in Rome in prison, um, and he was asking Paul to help him deal with some heretical teachings that had been causing confusion among the believers. And uh, these um, heretical teachings, they're along the lines of Gnosticism, which teaches that it took special knowledge to be accepted by God, that Christ alone was not enough for salvation. And um, that still happens. There's still a lot of people that, that will sort of say, oh yeah, Jesus is good, but it's not enough. There's more to it than that, and you, you just don't have it all. That's Gnosticism. Um, it's where you also get the word agnostic. It all springs out of this idea of gnosis or, um, that was a type of philosophy that was contrary to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's going to refute them very nicely um, in these chapters uh, and verses that we're going to look at uh, today and in the next few weeks. So uh, he goes on and says in verses 6 through 8, um, that the gospel, the good news, the truth about Jesus Christ has been spreading around the world. And where the message is heard, and this is what's important, people um, are being changed. See, that's sort of the, the basis of this. God's word isn't just for our information, it's for our transformation. And that's a big refutable point against Gnosticism, which was all about knowledge. And people of that day, a lot of them were just, you know, they were, it was all about what they knew. But what Paul is saying to them, look, it's, if it doesn't make a difference, if it doesn't change you, you're not getting it. And he said, that's what the Word of God does. When the Word of God is preached and people hear it and receive it, their lives are transformed. So um, God's Word isn't just for information, it's about transformation in our lives. Becoming a Christian is more than just sort of turning over a new leaf or determining to be good. Um, it's the beginning of a life-changing relationship with God. And that's what makes it different from everything else. Um, it's the beginning of a life change. Because um, as you open yourself to life in Christ and, and the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you and you begin to yield to his working in your life, um, you will be changed and transformed. And that's, that's what happens. Um, it's not like that for any of us. Um, it's a lifelong process, but it should be a process that's undergoing. The process is called sanctification. You should be being changed uh, in your relationship with God. 
Because that's, see, that's how we know the Holy Spirit's at work. Um, that's the, the truest, clearest, biggest way to know. It's, it's not, you know, the, the, some people want to judge that sometimes by the gifts of the Spirit being in operation, like the Corinthians, and that wasn't it. Those are there for, um, uh, you know, in, in, equipping and encouraging and helping. Um, but the evidence of the Holy Spirit being at work is that people's lives are being changed. That's what you look for. If lives are being changed, the Spirit of God's at work. If, if people are, are, are continuing to change, um, the Spirit of God's at work. And that's what I always look for here. Are our lives being changed? Are we seeing people changed? Are we changing? And I, I would say yes. Um, and, and say that very confidently, that we see it a lot, that people are being changed and transformed. Even, even when we've walked with the Lord for a while, we're still being changed. I was thinking about this week. How cool is it, as a believer... That, because uh, I think to me this is cool, that you don't arrive until Jesus comes back. That you can never sort of go, okay, I've got it all figured out, now I'm done. You never get to that spot. Um, and to me, that that's, keeps it an adventure, see? Because God is, is at work with you your entire life, forever. But your entire life here, God is at work in you. And He's always, by the Spirit, showing you new things. Not, you know, things that don't still line up with Scripture, but just new things. And He's working on your life, and, and He's changing you, and, um, you know, uh, He's softening hard edges. Um, that's really good news. Uh, I, I, I really appreciate that. Because He's got a long way to go in me yet, but, but um, I'm softer now than I used to be. Uh, and, and I, you know, I'll probably be a big mush ball in the next 20 years. <laughs> Because there's still a lot of there's still a lot of edges there's still a lot of stuff you know and I I see it pop up and and uh, uh, you know and and I just know it's because God's not finished with me yet and and at some level I'm glad because that means I'm still on the adventure see I haven't I'm still in a work in progress and I always will be hope to always be a work in progress and and that to me is one of the cool things about being a Christian following Jesus he's at work in me and will be until he comes and gets me. Until, until the day that we meet face to face forever, he's working on me. Then I'll be changed. He does, he does that last bit like that, which is cool. Because you, you hate to be there and everybody else be perfect and you still working on it. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, you have to go sit back there. Really? Still? It's like a... a a political moment. They just haven't should have grabbed a bottle of water and then made a big fuss. Maybe it would go viral on the internet. <laughs> the next big viral moment. I doubt it. Um, so, as um, believers, then loving God and loving others, we can have an impact that moves beyond our own communities and actually impact the world around us for Christ. So I think that's cool too, because we're in a small spot. And, and uh, you know, I tell you our mission is for more and that, that we can make a difference all over the world. And I believe that. I believe that um, the church in Colossus is a, is a prime example, started by a guy that you've never really have heard of before. I bet most of you haven't heard the name Epaphras before or that it's stuck in your brain. Um, but he got recorded in Scripture. That's a pretty big deal to make it into the book, isn't it? For starting this church, which was, and this church was known for how well it loved. That's pretty cool stuff. And was making a difference because of the way it loved uh, believers, especially as they were traveling through and everything. How cool is that? See, to me, that, that's, I think that's the coolest thing. That, that uh, no matter where we're at, if we're following Jesus, we can make a difference on the world around us. And, and a significant difference. You just never know um, what the Lord will, will do um, in and through you. 
And and I think you know when we end up and and uh, after we've you know spent that first ten thousand years just kind of hanging out worshiping, and we start kind of hey how how you doing? Um, I don't know if that's how it happens, but uh, don't you think you'll meet some people that that impacted you along the way? That you're gonna have to say, well, thank you so much for for that time when you when you shared with me and it made a difference in my life. And and, uh, um, and you know I've told you this one story. I have this one guy that his name was Bill Miller who shared a sandwich with me, um, and and was the beginning of huge change in my life over a sandwich. I've always been a big guy on food. And, uh, you know, my favorite part of the story is I didn't have a, I didn't have lunch. I just was young and I would eat at the Pizza Hut buffet every night. I was something I would eat, and, but I would stock up and eat at the Pizza Hut buffet for $4 for 24 hours. And uh, <laughs> it was enough. You know what I mean? I could make it at that point in time. I was hurting the Pizza Hut buffet, but... Uh, one lunch I was at, uh, at, at sitting there and I, I didn't have any, and he said, hey, would you like a sandwich? I have two. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. And he, he shared with me a sandwich. And uh, from that day forward, the, the two summers I was there, he brought me a sandwich every day for lunch. Of course, then he, he started bringing three sandwiches because two was his. Uh, <laughs> it's not that they all weren't a sacrifice, but that first one was a huge sacrifice. And uh, he just accepted me where I was. I was such a mess. And he started inviting me to his house. And he was a solid believer. Him and his whole family were just solid, sweet, lovely people. And uh, I was not. And I, was, I, I think back about how I, I didn't realize how crass I was at the time. And they, he just never said a word, just loved me. And uh, slowly but surely began to tell me about Jesus. And um, had an experience one night there. And, and he got to spend the entire night... And I got this close to, to buying in. And no, because you know what I couldn't see at that age was how Christians had any fun. And I'm like, all sounds good, but I don't see the fun part. And uh, I, I wasn't ready. But when I was ready five years later, it, everything that he said to me popped right in. And it was a huge part of how I came into the kingdom. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing him and just saying thank you. And, and uh, it made a huge difference. And, and, and you know, that one guy seeing a 19-year-old struggling and moving into it made a difference. And, I'm, I'm, you know, I haven't had world-changing impact, but I've impacted a few lives. God's let me. And so that all gets tied back to a sandwich at some level. And uh, that's pretty significant. You just never know, right? You just never know what's going to happen. I mean, I think about this. Somebody led Billy Graham to Jesus. How about that? That'd be a good one, wouldn't it? <laughs> Not that we're going to have a pride thing, but still, that's pretty cool. Somebody led, somebody led him to Jesus. So, uh, and look, you know, look what his ministry's been like. It's just that stuff is is cool to me, and you just never know who who you're going to impact. Uh, verses nine through fourteen. So Paul's starting then to deal with these teachings, uh, this heresy that's tre- crept into the church, and uh, like I said, the Gnostics valued the accumulation of knowledge, and uh, Paul points out that knowledge in itself is empty. And to be worth anything, it must be, um, it must lead to change life and um, the evidence of, of, of a better way of living in life. And then he does something here that's very cool, um, and you can go back and look at those verses 9 through 14, but he gives a great model for praying for people, um, um, for, and maybe for people that you don't know very well, but you know you're supposed to pray for, you know, sometimes we, we pray for our leaders, and we pray for some, you know, I'm not really sure, I don't know those people, I don't know how to pray. He's got nine points in those verses where he prays for people. And he prays that, um, um, that, that they understand what God wants them to do. That's a good, solid prayer, right? Pray for someone just that they would know what God wants them to do. Um, that they would gain spiritual wisdom. 
super prayer. That they would honor and please God in their lives. This is really good stuff. Produce every kind of good fruit. Learn to know God better and better. Be strengthened with God's glorious power. Have great endurance and patience. Be filled with joy and give thanks always. So if you ever wonder how to pray for somebody, there's a great chunk of scripture. There in, in uh, the first chapter of Colossians verses 9 through 14. Grab a hold of that and just start praying that over people. And it will make a difference. Those are basic needs that all of us who walk with Christ have in our life. Verses 15 through 23 um, are, are a neat chunk of scripture and, and most likely formed one of the earliest church liturgies um, that we know of. And, and it was designed for people to memorize. And in its um, uh, understanding, it refuted these heresies um, wonderfully. Verses 15 through 23. So I'm just going to go back and read that chunk of scripture to you. And uh, you can see how, it, uh, how it's designed as a, as a liturgy, as something that would be read and understood and memorized by the church. And that having, having it in them, then they would easily be able to stand against the false teachings. So, so listen to that, or read it along with me. Um, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. That, in, in context, was a... Uh, uh, sort of a liturgy that if you memorized and understood that and let that sink in, that anybody who's coming at you with anything about who Jesus was uh, didn't fit with that, you knew right away it didn't line up. And you would just go, that's not true. And, and so you would be freed from having to deal with the confusion that comes from these false teachings, um, uh, particularly of Gnosticism. And, and so um, in that, in verse 15, you know, Jesus is uh, the express image of the invisible God. He's not some distant, inferior reflection, which is what Gnosticism would say. Uh, in, in verses 16 and 17, he's the direct creator of all things in the material and spiritual universe, even of the angelic host. Because sometimes they want to say he's just like one of the angels. He's not. And that, that verse lets us know. By him and for him, everything was made. By him and for him. Uh, clearly, God and the material universe are not at odds. Because uh, another thing of the Gnostics is that the spiritual and the physical thing can't be uh, coexist together. Uh, they're separate. And Jesus proved that wrong because he was spiritual and physical at the same time. Uh, in, in verse 18, he's the head of the body. He's supreme in everything. In verse 19, the fullness of God resides in him alone. Uh, verses 20 through 22 talk about a real incarnation um, in Christ's physical body through death. God has reconciled us 
bringing us into his very presence. That in Christ, we've talked about this, we, can, we have access to the very presence of the living God. In Christ, we are holy in the sight of God. And so the spiritual um, effects of that are accomplished in the physical a body of Jesus dying on the cross. And so our life in this world and our life with God are not at odds, but actually are in complete harmony with one another. And Paul encourages the Colossians then to continue in their faith and not to be moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Always what the enemy would like to do is get you swayed off your faith and get you moving in a different direction. Oh, maybe it's not. He's got you, he's with you, he's for you. And knowing who Jesus is, is the foundation of everything that we do in life. We're going to be talking about that this weekend. Last few verses, 24 through 25. So um, in Christ now, no knowledge is hidden from us. Because um, the Gnostics always say there's a, a bigger, a higher knowledge. It's sort of a, a mystery. But um, it's all been revealed. And Paul says, even the greatest mystery of ever has been revealed. And that's Christ in you. A hope of glory. That's the greatest mystery of all time. That God had a way for us to be reconciled to him. And it was in Christ. Christ in you, you in Christ. That's the big mystery. That's the basics. That's the, the big deal that, that, uh, that we have access to. And in that, we have access to God and, and everything that, that happens with that access. So uh, that's enough for this week. We'll end chapter one there. We'll pick it up next time in the next chapter. Um, if you're watching on television or by video, uh, thank you so much for taking time to watch this uh, with us. We appreciate you doing that. And uh, we, uh, we know how valuable your time is. We hope you check back in. If you need prayer, uh, keysvineyard.com on the website. Just go to the prayer page and send us an email from there. And we will be praying for you. Thanks for watching.